0: Thanks for being here today. Uh, We are in a series called Unstoppable, based upon the book of Acts. And Acts is the story of the early church. It's the story of what happened after Jesus ascended back to heaven. But I want to begin today by asking you a question. Have you ever had a divine encounter? What I mean is, has there ever been a time in your life where you came to church and the message or a song was just what you needed at that moment? Or you had a conversation with someone and that conversation led to you coming back to church or putting your faith in Christ for the first time and it was just what you needed at that moment. I don't believe those are a coincidence. All throughout the Bible we see a God who is pursuing his people. We can try to ignore him, we can try to run from him, but even when you don't expect it, God will speak into your life and it is a divine encounter. About eight years ago, my wife met a 19-year-old mom at Target whose daughter was the same age as our son, and somehow they got to talking and ended up exchanging phone numbers. I can't even comprehend that. I have never met a dude at Target, got to talking and said, well, let's just exchange phone numbers with one another. I don't want to do that, by the way. Anyway, she never called, but two years later, we got some new neighbors in a rental house behind ours, and so Sarah went over to introduce herself, and right away, she realized that this was the same girl she had met at Target two years earlier. She still had my wife's phone number in her cell phone and everything, and that's when Sarah and I began to realize that this meeting at Target, it wasn't a coincidence. This was a divine encounter. And so a while later, Sarah went over to invite this girl to church, and right away, this 19-year-old mom said, oh, I've been thinking about church. I saw a commercial for one and thought, I'm going to go. Who does that? (laughs) Who sees a commercial for church? First of all, I hardly ever see that. And then to see one and then say, I'm going to go, but God was at work in her life. And right away, she said, you know, I don't really believe in God. But my daughter, I think it would be good for her to go to church. Well, once you know it that God did not have her in church that weekend for her daughter. That 19-year-old mom sat there and cried the entire service. Three months later, after attending church every single weekend, she called my wife Sarah on the phone, and the first words out of her mouth were, Sarah, I need God. She turned from her sin, she put her faith in Christ. This is a girl whose father committed suicide when she was 13 years old, who got heavily into alcohol, had anxiety, was a 19-year-old mom trying to raise her daughter with an on-and-off-again boyfriend at the time. These days, eight years later, she is 27 years old, married, has five kids with her husband, and is one of the most faith-filled, godly, passionate for Jesus Christ people I have ever met in my entire life. How does that happen? It was a divine encounter. All of it, meeting at Target, moving in next door, coming to church, hearing about Christ, getting into a Bible study, all of it was a divine encounter. God was pursuing her. Here's a thought for you. What if God is pursuing you today? You may say, well, no, I don't think so. I just came to church to kind of fulfill my weekly obligation or I just came with a friend and I'm sort of just checking this out. But what if God is pursuing you? What if he brought you here today for a reason because he wants to speak into your life? That sort of thing happens all the time. In fact, in Acts chapter eight, we see an example of a divine encounter. It all begins with a man named Philip. Philip was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. You don't hear much about Philip. You don't hear about him as much as we do Peter, John, or Matthew. But in Acts chapter eight, look at what it says. It says, An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So God is speaking to Philip, he's directing him. It says, So Philip did. And he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority. Now, eunuch is not something we generally talk about or have that word in our vocabulary. And so you might be wondering, what is a eunuch? It was a person who worked for the king or the queen. But as a part of working for the king or the queen, they would be castrated. They would have their male private parts removed. Why would the king or queen want that? Well, first of all, they were paranoid. And so they didn't want their servants to overthrow them as king and start their own dynasty. The other reason was they didn't want their servants having sexual relations with one another. Just too much drama. So they decided to nip that one in the bud, so to speak. All right. It says a eunuch of great authority under the queen. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Traveling in a carriage in the first century is the equivalent today of a CEO driving a Lexus LS 460. This eunuch is very well off in life, other than the fact that he's a eunuch. That's a bummer. We all have our problems we have to deal with, right? But here's what I want you to notice. There's nothing wrong with the eunuch's life. He's not at rock bottom. He's not strung out on drugs or alcohol. He's not desperate for anything. His life is pretty good. And maybe that's how you feel today. Maybe you would say, you know, I'm, I'm happy. I've got good days and bad days. But overall, I love my life. I love my friends and my family. And I just don't see a reason why I need church or religion or more Jesus. But God had other plans. Look at what it says In the next verse, it says, The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk alongside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. That's a book in the Old Testament. So he asked him, Do you understand what you're reading? The man, the eunuch, replied, How can I when there's no one to instruct me? Little does he know, he's speaking to one of the men who lived with Jesus for three and a half years. But here's my question for you Have you ever been reading the Bible? And thought, I don't understand this. I have. And how will people learn unless there's someone else there to teach them? If you're a believer in Christ here today, what if you ask God to lead you to one person? Could be your neighbor, could be a coworker, could be a good friend or one of your kids. But to lead you to one person that you could teach the Bible to this year. You may say, well, I don't really know the Bible all that well myself. You will learn as you teach. How will people learn unless someone else teaches them? The eunuch seemed to understand this well because in the next verse, it says he begged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture that he had been reading was... Now, before I read this to you, I want you to think with me. As I'm reading, I want you to be thinking, who's it talking about in this verse? He's reading from the prophet Isaiah, which is in the Old Testament. Here's the verse that the eunuch was reading. It says this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Later in Isaiah, it says he was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we may have peace. He was whipped and we were healed. All of us have strayed away like sheep. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the guilt and sins of us all. Who do you think it's talking about in those verses? It's clearly talking about Jesus, isn't it? It's so obvious, in fact, that for years, critical scholars, scholars who didn't believe that the Bible was God's word, claimed that the book of Isaiah must have been written after Jesus died. They said, how else could it so perfectly describe his life and his death? It must have been written after he died. That is, until 1949. In 1949, a shepherd was out tending his sheep in near a town called Qumran in Israel. He went to explore some caves, and in those caves he found some scrolls. A scroll is like an ancient rolled-up book. Several of these scrolls were copies from the book of Isaiah which were then carbon-dated, the oldest of which was carbon-dated to 125 B.C. Do you see what that means? That means that the verses that I just read to you were written before Jesus Christ was even born. And yet they perfectly describe his life and his death. I'm telling you, the Bible is a supernatural book the eunuch, he didn't know this, and so he asked Philip, he says, was Isaiah talking about himself or someone else? So Philip began with the same scripture and then used many others to tell him the good news about Jesus. And that's what I want to do for you today. I want to tell you in as plain and clear language as possible the good news about Jesus. The word gospel means good news. Jesus did something that is good news for every single human being. But before we can understand the good news, we have to first understand the bad news. Here's the bad news. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. I don't think any of us would disagree with that. Maybe you think you're the only sinless person besides Jesus, but most people would say, yep, I acknowledge that I have sinned against God. But here's the really bad news, and this is the part that some people are unsure of. It says, for the wages of sin is death. A wage is something that you earn. It's something that you deserve. The Bible says that our sin has earned for us death. Physical death one day, but also spiritual death and separation from God as well. That's not how most of us view our sin, is it? Most of us rationalize our sin. We justify it. We say, well, my intentions were really good, but God is holy, so holy that he cannot tolerate any form of sin or evil. The Bible says that if we die having sin, we will be separated from God forever. It seems helpless. But look what the Bible says in Romans 5:6. It says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. We have been made right with God by the blood of Christ. He will save us from God's judgment. You deserve to die for your sin. I deserve to die for my sin. Jesus did not. Jesus was sinless. He had not earned the wage of death, and yet he gave up his life. No one took it from him. He gave up his life as a substitute for our sin. He took our place. He paid our penalty. Therefore, Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. We are not saved by doing lots of nice things for people. We are not saved by avoiding the so-called big sins in life. There is one way that a person is saved, and it is through faith in Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Have you had a time in your life where you turned away from your sins and you put your faith, you put your trust in Jesus Christ? If not, I want to do something today that I don't think we have ever done in the history of this church. I want to pray for you right now. In the middle of this message, I want to give you an opportunity to get right with God. God may have brought you here today for a reason. He may be speaking to you. And he may be saying, if you continue on this path, the wage of your sin is death. But right now, in this moment, God is offering you a free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And all you have to do is receive it through faith. And so let's pray together right now. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you for that person who you have brought here today. Just like the eunuch who is on the road from Jerusalem, they didn't wake up this morning thinking that they were going to encounter you. But God, right now in this moment, you have been speaking right to them. And so God, in the quietness of their own mind, they're just going to pray this prayer with me. God, forgive me of my sin. I recognize that I have sinned against you and that the wage of my sin is death. But right now in this moment, God, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died for me. I believe that he rose again so that I too can rise again one day to have eternal life. And so right now in this moment, God, I put my faith in Christ. I trust him to save me. And God, I declare that I want to follow you and obey you for the rest of my life. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's celebrate those who prayed that prayer. So whatever happened to our friend the eunuch? Well, like some of you, he believed in Jesus. He had a moment like some of you just had. He believed in Jesus. He put his faith in him. Look at what it says happened next. It says, as they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Let me go home and get my swimsuit and a towel, and I'll be right back to get baptized. No, he actually doesn't say that. He says, look, there's some water. Let me think about this for two or three years, and then maybe I'll get baptized. He doesn't say that either. He says, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? That is the question I have for you today. What could possibly be preventing you from being baptized today? If you just pray that prayer and put your faith in Christ, what a moment to stand before God and before this church and publicly declare that you have new life in Christ. If you are a believer in Christ, but you have never been baptized as an adult, what a moment to say, you know what, God, it's time. I'm going to obey you in this area of my life. I'm guessing you have a couple objections in your head. I've tried to anticipate what those are. The first one might be this. I was baptized as an infant, and my parents or grandparents would be upset with me. This is a big one, so let me try and explain Parents who baptize their kids as babies have the best of intentions in mind. They want to raise kids who know and love Christ. And so every time I talk to someone whose parents baptize them as an infant, I say, honor your parents for that, for their desire to raise a kid who loves Christ. We do parent-child dedication for the same reason. But you should also know that there is not one single reference in the entire Bible to a baby being baptized. Every time people are commanded to be baptized, it's attached to the command to believe first. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 8. It says, The people believed Philip's message concerning Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. Notice that belief precedes baptism. And this belief or this faith... It's not your parents' faith. It's not your pastor's faith. It's not your priest's faith. It's your faith. Don't bank on an infant baptism as your ticket to heaven. That would be tragic. Now, of course, we want to honor our family's wishes, and we want to have their approval. But even more importantly than that, we want to honor God's wishes. And we want to have God's approval. And sometimes in life, you just can't have both. And in those moments, you have to decide, who am I going to live for, people or God? Second objection that you might have in your head is is just simply pride. I think this is actually the biggest one. I became a follower of Christ when I was 19 years old. I wasn't baptized until I was 26. Seven years later. I was actually a youth pastor at the time. I was baptizing other people, but I had never been baptized myself. It got to the point where I was embarrassed. In fact, I actually went to a different church to get baptized than the church I worked at. Because I thought, how weird would that be if I'm baptizing someone and I say, oh, let's switch. You do me now. (laughs) Why did I wait so long? I don't know. Pride. After a few years, I started to worry what people would think. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've been following Christ for a while and even serving at church and you think, well, what would people think? Or you think, you know, who wants to get up in front of a bunch of people and get wet? I'm too old for that. I'm too young and cool for that. As somebody who waited an embarrassingly long time myself, I can relate to all those. But here's a thought for you. How proud of you would God be today if you said, you know what, it's time. It's time. It's time, God, to honor you in this area of my life. It's time to publicly declare my faith in Christ. Don't let pride keep you from being baptized. Besides, if you waited an embarrassingly long time, we'll just hold you under longer. That's the rule more sin, more time under the water. That's how it goes. Third objection is but the water's cold. As you can tell, I'm moving from the deep end of the objection pool into the shallow end. All of our pools are heated to hot tub levels. I'm not a member, and I haven't taken the baptism class. Well, the eunuch wasn't a member. He didn't take a baptism class. We don't have one anyway. Next one. (laughs) I didn't come dressed for it. I'm glad you asked. That's probably the biggest one, I would guess. We have today shorts for you to change into. We have T-shirts for you to change into. Men, we have boxer shorts for you. Women... Everything you need is in this bag right here. (laughs) I don't know that for a fact. I haven't checked it myself, but I'm told everything you need is right there. We have sandals for you to wear as well. We have a place for you to change. We have towels. We have people to guard your stuff. Next one, my hair will get wet or my makeup will come off. Thought of that as well. We have makeup remover. We have hair binders, we have deodorant, we have gel, we have combs. We've thought of all of that. Next one, I want my family to see. We have professional photographers at every campus to capture these images that you can share with your friends and family. We've thought of everything. What are you waiting for? This past summer, I baptized my oldest son, Micah. And it was one of the proudest moments of my life. Micah had put his faith in Christ a few years earlier. And we actually celebrate that when our kids make a decision for Christ. And so I have a picture of him here on the side screens. This was him with his celebratory ice cream the night that he gave his life to Christ. Since that time, I've watched Micah mature in his faith. He started reading through the whole Bible. He's not even close to being done, but he's been reading it. He's about halfway through a book called Humility by C.J. Mahaney. He and I joke that he's the only nine year old who will have ever read that book. And that's funny because you probably shouldn't brag about being the only person ever to read a book called Humility. He has a heart for people who are hurting. He loves this church, and most importantly, he loves God. Now, he's not perfect. He gets too competitive and has a really hard time controlling his words sometimes. I think he gets that from his mom. (laughs) But he is everything I had ever hoped for in a son and then some. And so this summer when I stood in the lake and I watched him coming out towards me, I could hardly contain myself. We were in a series at church that summer called More Than Happy. And afterwards as we were walking out to the parking lot... Micah said, Dad, you should do a message on baptism for the More Than Happy series because I am more than happy right now. And I could tell that he really was. The next night, I brought him to the Home Run Derby at Target Field, one of the best nights we have ever had together. But as much fun as we had that night, I never saw him smile like he did when he was baptized. Friends, there is something powerful When a believer publicly declares their faith in Christ through baptism, there is something so powerful when a believer stops worrying what other people think and how my hair is going to look and they take a step towards God and are baptized. There's something so meaningful when we identify with the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ through baptism. And I want that for you today. Today could be your divine encounter. You may have woke up this morning not expecting to be baptized, just like the eunuch woke up, not expecting to encounter God on the road from Jerusalem. But here you are. And God brought you for a reason. And he wants to speak into your life. There's something he wants to do in that water. He wants to set you free. He wants to wash you of your sin. He wants you to declare, here I am, Jesus Christ, I am all yours. He brought you for a reason. I want to show you the story of a family who God has been working in their life and has brought them to this moment. Take a look at the side screens.
1: My name is Aiden, and I'm 11. I love to play video games and read books. My life hasn't been easy, that's for sure. When I was about five, my parents got divorced. and I had to move to Minnesota from California. I kind of felt lost and it's really cold here. It was especially hard to see my mom go through everything. My mom really is the one who holds our family together. When I was growing up, she always told me about Jesus. And when I was six years old, I made the decision to let Jesus into my heart. And today,
2: I want to get baptized. I'm Vivian and I'm nine years old. My favorite things to do are figure skating and playing with my dog, Roy. When I was four, I accepted Jesus. And since my parents were in the middle of a divorce, I spent a lot of time with him. I remember times when my parents would be fighting and I would go in my room and pray. During those hard times, it always made me feel better. Today, I wanna show everybody how much I love Jesus and get baptized.
1: I'm Angie, and I'm Aiden and Vivian's mom. I am so proud of their decision to get baptized today. Even though our family has been through a lot, God continues to show up and reveal more of his plan. When we moved back to Minnesota, I met Charles. We started dating, and I took him to church with me. Shortly after, he accepted Christ. We were married in 2013, and from the start have placed God at the center of our family. Charles has become a father to the kids, and it's our priority to raise children who trust in God and have a heart for serving others.
0: My name is Charles, and as a new part of this family and a new believer, I've been on a wonderful journey. I've had my own struggles to overcome, but the transformation I've experienced in Christ has been unbelievable. I love my family, and it gives me great joy to see Aiden and Vivian boldly declaring their faith.
1: I feel honored that today I get the opportunity to stand beside them and be baptized as
0: well. for
1: me? I want to get baptized because I love Jesus and I want to feel him even more. I know that God has used all the bad things in my life to shape me into who I am. I know I can sometimes be controlling, bossy, and dishonest, but I also know that God has gifted me with a good mind and a great heart.
2: I believe everything in the Bible is true, and I know that baptism is a part of God's plan for me. I think afterwards I'll have an even better relationship with Jesus. I am amazed at the miracles God creates, and I can't believe how awesome He's made my family. Most importantly, I believe that Jesus died on the cross and came back to life for me. And I know that whenever I sin, He will always forgive me and that He will never leave me.
0: Well, we are here live at the four o'clock service at the Lionel Lakes campus. And uh, Angie, you've been baptized before, but you've played a pretty significant role in seeing your husband, Charles, come to faith in Christ and your kids come to faith in Christ. What is it like to see them here? How do you feel watching them get baptized today?
1: Um, it's my birthday tomorrow, and um, it is a culmination of God's promises and the biggest gift I could ever receive.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's great for all of us to see a family that God's at work in their life and using even hardships to bring you to this point of walking with God and no matter where you're at in life today, God can, can take something that's difficult and he can bring it around later on uh, to show his glory. And so we're going to baptize you today. Uh, have you guys put your faith in Christ? Yes. Well, then based upon your public profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. you All right, well at this time I'm going to pass it off to the campus pastors at our campuses.